Do you have any concern that Tucker Carlson's interview with Vladimir Putin could further erode support for Ukraine aid in the United States? Um, I, I, we're convinced that there is strong bipartisan support on Capitol Hill for supporting Ukraine. Um, and we know there's efforts now to bring something up onto the Senate floor for a vote that would have Ukraine, Israel, Indo-Pacific, and humanitarian assistance, so supplemental funding in it and without the, the border. Uh, we'll, let the we'll, we'll let senators work that out. The president believes that support for Ukraine is critical, particularly right now, uh, as Russia continues to try to uh, hit their defense industrial base, continue to hit their units on that battlefront from, from east to south. It, it, it's vital. Uh, and he's confident that uh, and he and based on the meetings he's had with, with leaders on Capitol Hill and the discussions he's had certainly uh, uh, over recent weeks uh, that again the leadership even on the House side the leadership is solidly in support of supporting Ukraine now whether they're going to how they're going to be affected or impacted by a television interview I, I couldn't begin to, to, to guess I guess I'm asking beyond just Congress among the American people many of whom you know watch Tucker Carlson's show and how are inclined already to be skeptical of American support for Ukraine, would hearing directly from Putin potentially erode that further, not just in the halls of Congress, but among the people? The American people know well who's at fault here. And I think they know that there was no ground whatsoever for the invasion on February 22nd, two years ago. The, uh, he, he invaded a neighboring country with, without provocation. Ukraine wasn't a threat to anybody, and the American people understand that. And the American people understand what Ukraine's fighting for. And all they're asking for is our help. They're not asking for American boots on the ground. Again, I don't think the American people are going to be swayed by one single interview. And I think anybody that watches that interview, again, I haven't seen it, whatever, whatever's said, need to, need to make sure you're, 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 remember, you're listening to Vladimir Putin. And uh, you shouldn't take at face value anything he has to say. Welcome to Liberty Lockdown. Please scan your barcode. Your liberty ain't gone, but yeah, it's on hold. Where did it come from and where did it go? Today's episode of Liberty Lockdown is brought to you by CrowdHealth. Health insurance is confusing, expensive, and frustrating, and claim denials are becoming more and more common. In fact, one in five Obamacare claims were denied last year. That is unacceptable. The headache of health insurance is exactly why CrowdHealth was created. It's not health insurance. It's a better way to pay for health care through crowdfunding. So stop sending money to big insurance companies who profit off of not paying your bills and check out CrowdHealth. I can't tell you how sick I am of dealing with my insurance company. And this is exactly why CrowdHealth is the sponsor. For $175 for an individual or $575 for a family of four or more, you'll get access to a community of people who are willing to help out in the event of an emergency. You'll get access to telemedicine visits, discounted prescriptions, and so much more without doctors' networks getting in the way. And of course, you'll join the crowd, a group of members just like you who want to help pay for each other's unexpected medical events. Let CrowdHealth help with your healthcare needs. Get started today for just $99 per month for your first three months by using code LOCKDOWN at joincrowdhealth.com. Again, that's joincrowdhealth.com, promo code LOCKDOWN. CrowdHealth is not health insurance. Learn more at joincrowdhealth.com. That's joincrowdhealth.com, code LOCKDOWN. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to a live stream edition of Liberty Lockdown. This is Clint Russell. Thank you so much for tuning in once again. Oh, there's no news that happened today. 
it's unfortunate. I was scheduled with Dave Smith and like nothing happened. So there's really nothing to talk about, but I appreciate that all 400 of you are already watching live. It's uh, just boring, slow news day. So we'll see what Dave has to say. I have so much faith in this man that he would be on time that I started this show four minutes before he said that he was going to be here and he's here. God bless. Dave Smith, what's up, man? What's going on, my brother? I apologize for, for running a little bit late. And, oh, uh, not at all. Yeah. Slow news day. Dude, slow, slow, slow news day. Um, well, I guess, uh, you know, I, I've got, I pulled a bunch of clips from it and I, I want to definitely play some stuff for you. But before we do that, I just want to get kind of your, your initial takeaway. What, what did you think? Well, uh, I guess, first of all, I would say that this was, this was truly historic. Um, and it's, uh, it's a weird thing. So I talk about this a lot on my show, um, that it, one of the biggest challenges, and I'm sure you find this too, but one of the biggest challenges of doing a show, you know, like I do my show three days a week and doing it through the last, let's say six years. And I've been doing it longer than that, but particularly through the last six years or so, it seems like every day there's a crazy new thing. You know, like there's just a crazy story every goddamn day, probably more than every day, multiple times a day. You know, I, I remember I woke up this morning and I was texting back and forth with some people about there was this big scandal about um, uh, trans men or, or trans women, whatever, you, dudes who claim to be chicks, uh, boxing women in the Olympics. That was like a thing that was going on. And, and you're like, this is the most insane thing I've ever heard of in my life. Like, are we really <laughs> even having this conversation how that's just possible? a Tuesday now, Dave. Like, how is it possible that this is even a debate? You know, so that's happening every single day. Something that level of crazy that everyone would have recognized, you know, as crazy not that long ago. And there's this challenge when there's crazy shit happening every day to recognize when the crazy thing of the day is like actually a really big story. You're like, oh, this is actually like really, really big. And th this was one of the easier ones to recognize where the guy who was the biggest uh, name in cable news was the biggest show in, in cable news uh, gets fired, goes to the internet and is bigger than he's ever been. Like that right away is just crazy. It's such a crazy story. And now he is the first journalist to get an interview with the Russian head of state in the middle of a proxy war between the United States of America and, and Russia. I mean, that's just, there's no way that you can kind of downplay that this was, and this is no matter what your politics are, that's, that's historical. Like we, we just saw something that was historical uh, today. The, I, I would say that my other, so that's kind of my takeaway of like what this meant. My, my takeaway almost before we get to the interview is that, there's been like this collective freak out amongst the establishment before the interview even aired, uh, just when it became clear that this interview had happened. And I think that a, a big part of the reason for that is what I just mentioned, how historic this is and how big a deal it is that a guy who was, you know, like I, I talk about this on my show a lot, but so Bill O'Reilly, this was not that long ago. He was Tucker Carlson, essentially. He was the 8 p.m. hour, who was the biggest name in cable news. He got fired, and he's just not a figure anymore. 
Like, I, I know he has a show or has whatever, but he's not like moving the national conversation anymore. He was, that's how it always used to be. Then even up until people like, uh, say like Milo Yiannopoulos was a big figure in the culture. He's not anymore. He's totally irrelevant. I mean, this is an insult. Milo might text me after this. So he has my number. It was, you know, I've made some mistakes. Uh, but anyway, but like <laughs> he just, he was at one point a very, he was moving the needle. He's not anymore because he was silenced. And something's happened over the last year or two um, where this tactic isn't working anymore. And so that's part of it. The, the other major part of it is that while there's been no interviews with Vladimir Putin from any Western media during this whole war, and, and part of that might be that, you know, Vladimir Putin's unwilling. Part of that might be that the Western media is unwilling. But the thing that they were all freaking out about that I think me and you both know, because we both studied up on this quite a bit, is that, look, however you feel about Putin, um, and I certainly don't have nothing but good feelings, and I don't have nothing but good feelings about what he said in the interview today, and we, we'll get into this, I'm sure. But the fact is, and I just think this is so undeniable at this point, that much like all of the wars, this entire war has been sold on lie after lie after lie. And I really think if you're just being honest, this is just, this is objectively true. That the, the whole thing, I mean, it reminds me of, I remember in, in the war in Iraq when there were just, it was like, there was a certain point where the public sentiment just broke. And back then we didn't have alternative voices like this. All we had was the corporate media, you know? Um, but it was like there were, you know, me and you are around the same age. So we we remember that it was like first they sold the war off. Uh, Saddam has weapons of mass destruction and he was in on 9-11. You know, he's working with the terrorists and he's got nukes that he's about to hand off to him and give to us. And then as soon as the war started, it was like, well, oh, all right, fine. None of that was true, but we're here to spread democracy. And that, then democracy will sweep the region and everything will be better. And then George W. Bush has his, you know, mission accomplished speech. And then they hold elections. And then things just get way worse after the elections. And people are like, wait, you told us we were going to be greeted as liberators and the war would be paid for in oil. And then, you know, and then it's like just one thing after another was like, lie, 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 lie. Like everything you said was wrong or wrong. And look, let's just think about this objectively. Since the war in Ukraine started, they lied about the history of the war. They lied about the unprovoked, in quotes, nature of the war. They lied about the Maidan revolution. They lied about Vladimir Putin's uh, requests right before the war started. They lied about his motivations. They lied about the ghost of Kiev. They lied about how... That we would fight this with sanctions only. We didn't even need to send weapons in. You remember that phase at the very beginning yeah. when they said the sanctions would cripple the Russian economy? They lied Feels about, like a lifetime ago. <laughs> yes. They lied about what weapons we were going to send Ukraine. They lied about how Ukraine was doing in the war. They lied about, I mean, every single inch of this has been all built on lies. And so, of course, they're terrified that you might get to hear from the other guy. And tonight we got to hear from the other guy. Now, again, th there's this weird dynamic where, in one sense, people like me and you are very proven right by today's interview because we've been out here for the last couple of years being like, no, this is Putin's perspective. 
And of course, this is because we've read his speeches and listened to his speeches and like we know what he's been saying for the last decade. Um, but then at the same time, I'm sure other people can look at that and be like, look, you sound just like Vladimir Putin did today or whatever. Exactly. So anyway, it just confirms I mean, that we're Putin puppets, Dave. Right, right. So we can kind of get into all of this. But I will say that and I, I tweeted something to this effect that as an American, it is wild. It's just it's a wild kind of foreign experience. It's a very strange thing when you live in a country like we do, where, you know, let's say you see a picture of George W. Bush in the year 1999, and then you see a picture of him today, and he's like an old man. And like back then, you were like, oh, that was like a young man. And and we're, we just take for granted that the correct answer is you're supposed to have a new president every four to eight years. But it's crazy to see Vladimir Putin in 99 and Vladimir Putin today, and it's like, oh, he's still the leader of this country. And that, however you feel about that, that's just kind of different for us to see. And then also it's kind of, it's very different for us to see a president who will go into detail of history the way he did today. <laughs> and I'm not saying everything he said is true. In fact, I think some of the things he said was flat out bullshit when he's going like telling the historical story. But even just to see someone presenting it in this way is just so different than what we ever get in America. We don't yeah. get that. We get we get uh, elected officials clearly speaking to people with a 90 IQ. That's who right. they're targeting. We don't get this. So that was another thing that I took away from it. Yeah, well, we, we get deception on the day-to-day -day news. Like that you have politicians, you know, the Biden administration describing Trump about, you know, his quotes when it comes to immigration or migrants or, uh, you know, the, the very fine people line. Like it's all, it's all right. such propaganda. And then you hear this guy and he's like, he's like, well, even if some of it's not true, he's still, he's going to tell you a thousand years of history and he's just going to monologue it for a half an hour. I mean, it's just like, I guess that was my initial takeaway was that like our political class is just unbelievably outclassed by this yeah. guy. Like just yeah, well, so that, outclassed. That, that I think is true. I also think, and one other thing that I'd say, and I'm sorry, I'll, I'll try to not rant for too long, but one of my other major takeaways from it was just how much Tucker Carlson outclasses the rest of our media class. Indeed. I mean, he was phenomenal tonight, man. And people can give him shit. Um, there, there were so many people who were saying, oh, he won't ask about that American journalist who, who was in jail. There were people saying he's going to give Putin a softball interview. And from my, in, in my opinion, he played it just right. And I mean, first of all, he gave Putin a tougher interview than anyone in Western media has given Zelensky since this war oh, started. Yeah. We were playing earlier on, a, on my show that I recorded earlier today, like some of the interviews of Zelensky. And how just they're just fawning over him. And you would think the Western media would have a, a higher obligation to grill Zelensky, seeing as how they are supporting his war and supporting funding his war, whereas Tucker is doing none of that. Tucker's not going over there saying the U.S. should be supporting Russia in their war against Ukraine. He's simply just saying like, yeah, maybe we shouldn't be involved at all. And let me talk to this guy. But Tucker actually, Tucker cut him off several times. Tucker pressed him uh, several times throughout the interview. But he pressed him enough to, to create some interesting moments where you see how this guy deals with a punch being thrown at him, but also allowed him to, to give his point of view, which is something that's been sorely missing in Western discourse. Well, no kidding. And I, I think, 
I don't know if you had a chance to watch the Dan Rather Saddam Hussein interview that had been going viral a couple days ago. Did you get a chance to see that? I, I think I saw like clips from it. Okay. I, I watched the whole thing back in the day when it happened yeah, I'm sure. or around yeah. that time, but I saw a couple clips of it today. Yeah, well, it was the, like right before. It was the interview, like basically a couple weeks before we, exactly. we invaded, right? Yeah, yeah, two weeks, two weeks prior, and the the British military as well as the American military are on his border, staging, preparing right. to invade, and he's sitting there with Dan Rather, and and I, I guessed that Vladimir Putin was going to give a similar styled speech, you know, or interview tonight. And I wasn't wrong. You know, he's he tries to make it very clear that he does not want war with us. This is exactly what Saddam Hussein said. Um, you know, very like it was just very reminiscent of that. And and from my vantage point, what what gives me great pause is that in hindsight, knowing that l much of what Saddam Hussein was saying during that interview, and the fact that it was broadcast to the American public, it made fuck all difference. We fucking right. destroyed that country. We killed a million people. The you know you you can list off all of the atrocities that go along with that. I'm just curious if this is enough. You know, if if the narrative is so fragile that that the American people will actually listen to this with an open mind, will they actually will they dismiss the corporate narrative, the John Kirby narrative, the Joe Biden administration narrative when it comes to dismiss all of this? This is all Putin, Russia lies, propaganda, or will they actually take it to heart? Well, I mean, look, it's uh, I understand where you point out the similarities between that interview and this one, but also immediate and, and I, I agree with you, but also immediately what pops to mind are like all the differences and like mm -hmm. how different of a so number one, you, you got to imagine like this was in uh, 2003 that that interview happened. And this is barely not the 1990s anymore. You know, and this is before <laughs> all of the disasters, short of 9-11, but, you know, the beginning of the war in Afghanistan. But this is not it's just not, you know, when Saddam Hussein is saying in that interview, he's like, I don't have any of these weapons that you guys are accusing. Me. I'm I'm completely following in accord to the U.N. agreements. I am. Right. People right there are like, yeah, whatever, dude, like, you know, whatever. My, all the experts I hear are telling me you got these weapons. That we are decades of lie after lie after lie after lie and disastrous lie True. later. And people don't have the same level of confidence that they did at the time. George W. Bush was still enjoying record high approval ratings. That's not the situation with Joe Biden right now, who's sitting at like 37 percent, you know. Mm -hmm. So that's drastically different. Tucker is also the number one guy in news. So there's just there's so many things that are different about this situation. And another pretty big difference is that despite how the neocons and the war hawks in our government want to treat Vladimir Putin, Vladimir Putin ain't Saddam Hussein. You know, he's sitting on the biggest stockpile of nuclear weapons in the history right. of the world. And so it's not like you can just go in there and overthrow him. At the end of the day, we could do whatever the fuck we wanted to do to Saddam Hussein. And that's not true with Vladimir Putin. So there's major differences also. Like, we, and, and, and even our government knows this. Our government won't even send our military to Ukraine. You know what I mean? Like, let alone actually enter Russia. So, I mean, okay. I'm sure there's smart people small, who listen to this show. Yeah, yes, small there trained, are some, yes, yeah. some members, but you get my point. Um, so, there, yes, there are similarities there, but then there's also this world of difference. And so that's another thing that kind of stands well, out to and, me. And, and Putin's also sitting there, you know, currently winning a war, yes. whereas Saddam Hussein yes. is sitting there preparing to viciously lose a war and lose his life. Right. Uh, 
But I, I what I did, the, the other similarity I saw between the two leaders was that it, it was in stark contrast to the domestic propaganda that the American people are dealing with. And in hindsight, we, we learned, I mean, some of us knew in real time, but most of us didn't, that Saddam Hussein was in fact telling largely the truth. And I feel after doing a lot of research, as you have as well, that largely what Putin had to say was accurate. Um, so I guess we should start by fact-checking. You said that there was some aspects of the history you disagreed with. Uh, is there anything that jumps out that you'd like to you know, warn people this part well, is false? Well, I mean, look, the whole opening about you know going back to like the 1300s and the history yeah. of Ukraine i don't know shit about Russia. that to be honest like, he, he could lie I, about I mean, all that <laughs> look i don't i'm not even saying i know enough to like fact check every detail i'm just saying that it's kind of like who gives a shit <laughs> like and it's just this like you know this thing where it's like, that's the israel palestine argument right yeah really i mean right it's as stupid as the pro-israeli side being like well two thousand years ago these <laughs> jews lived here and then by the way, once you look into it, you're like, ah, there's not even that much evidence that that's true. And you actually can't even like genetically prove that. And it seems more or less like what actually happened is that the Jews who did live there 2000 years are actually the Palestinians today. And they actually got <laughs> conquered and converted. But it turns out, yeah, right. that's so. But, you know, so I'm not even saying like, oh, he got this factually wrong or not. I'm just saying that all of that, this idea and, and look, me and you are we're we're libertarians. And that makes us, I think, have a better understanding than 99.9% .9 of people about what's actually just in these situations. Yeah. And none of that matters. Like, it just doesn't matter. And if you you could say, like, you know, we're uh, whatever, where you could be ruled over, you know, like America was a British colony for a long time, or at least the East Coast of what is now the United States of America was a British colony. And we said, hey, we're sick and tired of being a fucking British colony. And then now we're fucking independent after that because we were willing to fight for it. And if they were to say like, well, historically this, it's like, go fuck you. Like that doesn't <laughs> fucking matter. That just means nothing. So maybe that's right. like uh, an American libertarian attitude that I have, but all of that's just like totally unconvincing to me. And I think that um, the the fact is that even his description, and, and look, I, I will say he admitted at one point that there were human rights violations under Stalin. <laughs> you know, it's like, okay, <laughs> I give you credit at least for that admission, but it's a little bit more than just that. <laughs> and the truth it's is that the, the way he was describing the Soviet Union's desire to maintain national sovereignty within their satellite states, I mean, that's just pure bullshit propaganda. And in fact, the Soviets were trying at every turn to undermine uh, sovereignty amongst the Soviet satellite states. And, you know, of course, he did leave out what Stalin did to the Ukrainians and why there are so many ethnic Russians in Ukraine. And so right. I'm just saying, like, going back throughout that whole history, it's just I'm not even saying necessarily I could point to anything where, like, what he said was wrong but the omissions in there are like a grand canyons worth of omissions. And yeah. so I just like that part, I was all just kind of like dismissing and be like, get the fuck out of here. Like who, you know, first off that's bullshit. And second of all, you're completely ignoring what you actually did. And the truth is 
um, as many people uh, who, who disagree with us will point out, and they're not wrong about this, that the reason you have these tensions in Ukraine, or at least a large degree, is because they were flooded with ethnic Russians, specifically with the intended goal, if you could imagine mass migration with the intended goal of, you know, like replacing a population. <laughs> nothing nothing we could relate to in today's society. Never heard of but, it. Right. So that, that to me is more like the true history of the region. But also it, it doesn't, at a certain point, it doesn't matter. You know, like at a certain point, it's just like, okay, but they're there now. And so now right. we have to deal with the reality. This is many yeah. generations what, ago. What are the point. modern circumstances? And I think that was more the point I was making. Because yes. if I'm being honest, my, my eyes and my ears kind of glossed over during the thousand-year history lesson. But I really locked the fuck in once he started talking about, you know, post-USSR to today. And and based off of, you know, some reading and, and obviously Scott Horton's book of, uh, you know, Provoked, it definitely aligned with with much of the, the leaked cables and all, all sorts of... Uh, right. you know, reporting from the New York Times and things that that actually demonstrate that much of much of what he was portraying was accurate. Did you did you catch anything that's that struck you as just being outright a lie post ninety one? Um. Okay. So there were right. So my the biggest thing that I caught was that what I just mentioned in terms of post ninety one, there were some things that. Hmm, I guess maybe as we go through this, I'll I'll remember more. You know, I just listened to the interview, and I will I will I will confess that I was putting my kids to bed through part of it. Um, but good job. I, Dad. I, I thought that mostly after 1991, he was raising a lot of good points. Now, I, of course, there were a lot of things he didn't get into, and you know what I mean, and like a lot of things that sure. maybe th could be explored. But I can't think of anything that he said after that that I was like, "Yeah, that was bullshit." And I know someone here, maybe they'll, I'm sure people listening, someone will call me and like tweet if they, "Oh, he said this was," and maybe you're right. Maybe maybe I'm just not remembering. And if you mention yeah. it, I would. But I do think that that was when the interview started picking up. And again, I mean, it was like a half hour. Of him just going over the fucking bullshit yep. history that I didn't care about at all and was not persuaded by. But once he started getting into that, that is when I thought he was bringing up the stuff that we've been saying for two years plus now that like, look, th this is what this guy's grievances are. And a lot of them are legitimate grievances. Yeah. So, I, you know, I think I think. Yeah, that, I mean that was the main the main takeaway I had is like, uh, par particularly in stark contrast to the uh, American political representatives in our State Department and how they portray this this event. It's just like, well, they're telling you five percent of the truth, and this guy is telling you ninety. You know, like right. <laughs> you know, and that that was just so well, striking also, to me. And and part of that is like it's not that he's better or that we're no, worse or something like saying. that. It's it's look, it's a it's a little bit of a dynamic where like. If you're, if you're the one who's more powerful and someone else has less power relative to your power, they're always more likely to tell the truth, you know? Like, if you, if you have a big gun and you just pull it on some random person, they could be a bad person, but you just pull it on them, they're going to put their hands up and be like, hey, man, don't shoot. Like, let's have a peaceful solution. You know, come on, man. Like, why isn't want. peace the way? Now, that doesn't mean if you handed them the gun that they wouldn't be like, ah, fuck you. Give me your money, motherfucker. Like, they might right. be an even worse person than you. But just in the situation where we control not just the middle part of North America, but also, like, 
all the way extending up until his border and he's going hey man can you just like get off of my border so of course inherently he comes off as as telling the truth it doesn't mean he's a good guy and whatever but yes there was a lot look there's no question that his entire point about how after the collapse of the soviet union the the russians were waving the white flag and again, they're not waving the white flag because they were such great people. They're waving the white flag because their society collapsed and yeah, they were they in were no beat. position to do anything other than wave the white flag. And, but they right. were waving the white flag. And in that situation, America went and, but, dude, if you want to go read the writings of the neoconservatives, they were very explicit about this. It's not like th this is any secret. They went, we got them now. Now's when we move in. And they pretended... Like, oh, yeah, let's have detente. Let's be friends. Meanwhile, they just moved and took more and more and more and more power. And this is, again, go read all the fucking uh, Project for a New American Century stuff. They explicitly talk about this. And these are the people talking about that are the people who got in control of George W. Bush's uh, administration. And obviously, it started at the very end of Bill Clinton's administration. But those people got in and they got their way. And so yeah. that's, I, I think he's right when he tells the story like that. See, I think the the reason I have more sympathy for uh, Russia post USSR is that they were sitting on an enormous nuclear stockpile and they didn't have to go out peaceably, you know, like when the USSR is falling, it would have meant their doom too. But like, I, I look at that and I'm like, I'm not, I'm not at all sure that the American leadership, had we lost the cold war, had, would we not have done something totally insane? So like under our no, current leadership yeah, who knows i'm not sure who knows because you know the thing is like power breeds hubris and so if we had been continually degraded like that over and over i don't know i mean i don't yeah, know i don't like, know either when, when it gets to a certain point the, the, look there's a reason why we we've had nuclear weapons for a very long time and okay yes we did use them in 1945 but since then there, there's been so many opportunities and nobody's been willing to actually push the button. Right. And I, I do think that once it was, you know, and, and by the way, I don't mean this to say like, oh, you should be assured that they never will. I've been <laughs> like warning about the risk of nuclear war for right. the last couple of years, particularly. Um, but I do think that like, it's a, it's a tough position to be in. If you're, you know, if you're defeated, but also it's clear that no one's coming to like, fucking publicly hang you or Gaddafi style rape you to death. Probably most people aren't going to be willing to do that. I don't know. Of course. I, I don't know what it would be like the other way around if well, the I, Americans had been beaten like the, that. But the only point, the only point I'm making though, is that this is how we portray our enemies. We always portray them as being these like these savages that don't value life that they're, you know, but that's, that's yeah. a very human thing to do to realize that you're beat and to not destroy the world. This is, you know, it's not some Islamic caliphate type of mentality. And I, and you know, for that reason, I, I always try and attribute, you know, a real humanistic, uh, analysis of, of Russia sure. and the Russian people. And just realize that like they, they were, I believe that they were sincere in wanting to be recognized as being European and and being added into nato or or you know some sort of pact that would not have escalated into where we stand today and it was the bill clinton administration that that yeah. got that 
that uh, that snowball started, and then it just has continued for decades ever since. And then we like it's just so it's so infuriating to me that we have to sit here because we're Americans and because we're not interventionists, and we have to constantly say Putin's a bad guy, Putin's a bad guy, Putin's a bad guy, because otherwise people will be like, "You fucking love Putin, I know you do." And it's like, no, I don't. But it's just it's just so obvious to me that the Americans are clearly the provocateurs in this conflict. Oh, yeah. Oh, I mean, come on. For just look decades. At, just look at where the conflict's happening. And that right. kind of answers your question. It's on their fucking question. doorstep. That answers the question of who's the provocateur in this, uh, in this conflict. And again, as I was saying, which I'm doing the same thing you're talking about. I'm giving my disclaimer in, I, in, I know. The we own, have to. in the own my own way. But also, I'm just trying to tell the truth. I'm trying to like really tell the story as I see it so people no, understand what I'm saying. Um, and, and, I, and I appreciate that. that. Yeah, yeah, look, I mean, look, like, it's with all this stuff, right? Like, when, you know, a lot of people, one of the biggest criticisms that uh, me and you and Scott Horton and guys like us get is that they go, is that people will say, they'll say, well, look, you're always talking about how America was wrong for this. And you didn't mention this time that Putin did something bad or the Arabs did something bad or something like that, you know, and it's like, Look, uh, none of us are are claiming that Putin's never done anything bad or that Arabs have never done anything bad and that the only bad guys in the world are the U.S. and Israel and the United Kingdom and all that. that like, that's not the point. But at the same time, the way I always put it is like, look, imagine when Ron Paul got his little bit of speaking time that he got and he only got like a few minutes of debate back in 08 and 2012. For people who actually remember watching that shit, it was like the thing would be like two hours long and Ron Paul would get like seven minutes. Now, we all remember the seven minutes Ron Paul got because he made the most of those seven minutes. But imagine if Ron Paul had ever spent 30 seconds of that debate just going, listen, Osama bin Laden is evil and terrorism is wrong and 9-11 was a tragedy, and I believe that all the terrorists should be killed or captured. Right. Now, that probably would have gotten a big round of applause at those debates. And by the way, we would also agree with every word of what he just said. <laughs> right. It's all true. But it's also useless and meaningless. Like, you're just spending your time pointing out what everyone's already heard, what everyone already agrees with. And when I have precious time with my audience and i don't just mean like when i'm on rogan's podcast or something like that and i have precious time with some huge audience i don't care but even just with my audience i got three hours a week with you this is precious time i gotta say something here that really means something i can't just tell you what you already know that's obvious you know so like yeah. that so the important thing to say isn't just that it's like yes that is true yes okay fine Vladimir Putin's done some bad shit. He's a bad guy. And, but the but my point is that obviously the victim, uh, like on a geopolitical level, is always just going to have better propaganda. And that doesn't mean that they're innocent from everything. Right. It just means that, like you know, if you're if you're Saddam Hussein, as they're lying and saying you have weapons of mass destruction that you don't have you're going to have a better retort than George W. Bush is. Yep. And that doesn't even mean, by the way, it's totally debatable. I, I, who was a worse leader, Saddam Hussein or George W. Bush? I mean, probably Saddam Hussein, to be honest. 
Yeah, he was way more people. brutal to his people than George W. Bush was to ours, despite, you know, Patriot Act or whatever you want to say. Saddam Hussein was still worse. But, but, but I'll say this. I'll say this, though. Who's the worst? Who's the worst uh, president when it comes to the Iraqi people? So that's yeah. also something to keep in mind. So it's all this stuff. It's not to say that any of this is simple, but it is to just say that as Putin tells this story, a lot of which is Russian propaganda, a lot of which is true. And in the same sense, like these things aren't always, you know, it's American propaganda that Hitler was evil. And it's American propaganda that Stalin was evil. They're also both true. You know, like there's, there, it's, mm -hmm. there's also a lot of truth to that propaganda. And so as he's telling right. this story, which is Russian propaganda, but it also has a lot of truth to it, is that, look, we waved the white flag after the Soviet Union collapsed. And you guys kind of assured us this will be cool. Just let it happen and everything will be cool. We won't move to the east. You know, you guys are fine. Allow German reunification. We won't even move into the east part of Germany. Let a Poland get the fuck out of here, Poland. That's <laughs> nuts. We'd never move NATO to Poland, you know? And yeah. then every like subsequent president, there were big NATO expansions. And the whole time, as he says, Russia accepted it. They weren't in a position to that they voiced their opposition. They said, We don't really appreciate this. We'd like you to stop. But we just kept moving east and east and east. And Ukraine was their red line. And he brought this up in the interview. He said, he goes, listen, he goes, your CIA director, Bill Burns, knows about this stuff, right? So he, he, says, goes, he says, go ask Condoleezza, go ask go Bill ask Burns. Go ask Condoleezza Rice, go ask Bill Burns, right? He brought this up. And he said, like, this was the big red line, was, was Ukrainian entry into NATO. And if you look at that, it's very hard to not say that not in an anarcho-capitalist or pure libertarian sense, I suppose, but in the world that we actually live in. It's within the realm of what's reasonable. You know, like, yeah. like I mean, obviously me and you would say like, is, is a 10% income tax reasonable? I guess not, but within the realm of what we live in, you know, awesome. that's, that's pretty goddamn reasonable, right? <laughs> And like within the realm of what we live in to say, you can't have your military alliance in my biggest neighbor can't be involved in that is relatively reasonable. Yeah. And there's certainly no question that, you know, when, when people say like, well, why can't anyone join whatever military alliance they want to? It's like, well, let's get real. Mexico right. can't join whatever military alliance they want to. No. Cuba can't join whatever military alliance they want to. Like the truth is that the, the way the world works is that a big power saying you, you other big power from halfway around the world cannot come in here and dominate the country next to me and start putting your military weaponry in this country right on my border is within the realm of the world we live in a totally reasonable red line. That's, well, if I'm not saying it's reasonable to invade that country over it, but it's totally reasonable to say this is a red line. And then yeah. you can make up your mind what the reasonable response to that is. Well, if I remember correctly, I, I believe it was uh, there was an effort to actually get Mexico into the Warsaw Pact at one point. Um, so, yeah, they, they would never they would never permit shit like that because it's absolutely a threat and it's a provocation. Let's uh, let's run through this one clip, because this is probably the the, the most important 
claim that he made and probably the most contentious because our State Department and, and the NATO members have constantly claimed that once he's done with Ukraine, Poland's next. Well, yeah. Putin feels differently. You're going to deliver such and such weapons to Ukraine. Oh, I'm afraid. I'm afraid. Please don't. What is there to talk about? Do you think NATO is worried about this becoming a global war or a nuclear conflict? And they're trying to intimidate their own population with an imaginary Russian threat. This is an obvious fact. And thinking people, not Philistines, but thinking people, analysts, those who are engaged in real politics, just smart people understand perfectly well that this is a fake. They're trying to fuel the Russian threat. The threat I think you're referring to is a Russian invasion of Poland, Latvia, expansionist behavior. Is, can you imagine a scenario where you sent Russian troops to Poland? Only in one case, if Poland attacks Russia. Why? Because we have no interest in Poland, Latvia or anywhere else. Why would we do that? We simply don't have any interest. It's just threat-mongering. Today's episode of Liberty Lockdown is brought to you once again by Nadeau Shave Co. N-A-D-E-A-U shaveco.com. Promo code LOCKDOWN. Get yourself the best stainless steel razor in the game. Minimize ingrown hairs, razor burn and irritation. Veteran-owned, family-operated, legit how I keep my head so, so shiny and pretty. I shouldn't have said pretty. Oops, whatever. Just get the most manly razor in the game and turn your head into the, something that's not pretty. N-A-D-E-A-U shaveco.com. Promo code LOCKDOWN. Get you one today. So that's obviously the biggest uh, you know, claim that he makes that, that yeah, would be contentious. You also do a way better ad for that company than I do. Yours is just more <laughs> believable. Mine's like, I don't shave my face or hair. And I'm like, no, oh, they're great, dude. I use them on my pits. Anyway, um, yeah. Yes, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, no, I was just going to say, um, you know, a lot of people will think that I'm being naive to to buy into Putin's lies, but I honestly believe him. I think that he does not want war with fucking NATO. He he is claiming quite. I mean, he's being very honest about what it would amount to, right? Like, if you're if you're gonna if you're gonna do away with any sort of like what's what's best for for his narrative and just be like, well, what's realistic? Well, if NATO goes to war with Russia or NATO and Russia and China or something crazy like that, it's fucking world ending almost certainly. And it seems as if he's he's a realist about that. So well, what was your thought? OK, so here's where Putin's kind of full of shit on that. And again, you have to understand that Putin is a head of state and all libertarians should understand that that inherently makes him a bad guy and right. makes him a liar. Right. Like that's the, the and he's never going to admit when he's talking to Tucker in this whole interview about how he got duped, which he did get duped several times, but he'll never say that. And he'll never say he's intimidated and he'll never say, cause he's also got his own public right. choice theory shit where he's got his own incentives. Right? So where he's kind of full of shit in this is that actually, as I'm sure you remember quite well, Clint at the beginning of the war, he was talking shit about nukes quite a bit. And this is where I think all of us were the most alarmist where we were like, yes. fuck, we're getting dangerously close to a nuclear war. And what happened was that, look, back in 2008, uh, Vladimir Putin was saying, I could be in Kiev in two weeks and I could just roll in and take this whole thing over. And I think that's where, by the way, that's also where a lot of the kind of uh, 
corporate journalists and maybe, you know, establishment types said, hey, look how great Ukraine's doing. Everyone thought he could be in there in two weeks. And in fact, he's not. And really what happened was the fact that since 2014, there's been these NATO joint military exercises. And then there were a shit ton of weapons uh, that were uh, flooded in there by Donald Trump. Your hero, Donald Trump, actually is largely responsible for this conflict. And so then Putin kind of realized at first that he had bitten off way more than he thought he had. And that doesn't mean Ukraine is winning, because in fact, it's still a guarantee that Russia was going to win this war, but it was much harder for him. And so at the beginning, when he was struggling, he was talking a lot of shit about nukes. And then once it became clear that he was winning, he kind of starts going, nuclear war. Who could be possibly concerned about nuclear war? Because now he's not interested in making these provocative but threats. Let, let, me, but, let me can I can sure, I just sure. contend with Go that? Because because my read of that was kind of the 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 Trumpian model. Like it was it was about it was about intimidating NATO and most importantly the American military from putting troops on the ground in yes, Ukraine. I think that's right. But I also think for him to say like. Oh, the only thing about nuclear threats is the Western country's propaganda is like, you know, it's it's a little bit more than that. Sure. Um, but it also that there's good information there that as soon as Putin started winning, then he did go, no, there would be no reason for threats. Now, as far <laughs> as the stuff with advancing on Poland or or any other NATO countries, look, this is just the only way this would be a, a surprise to you is if you've only listened to Western media and never listened to anything he's ever said. Because right. Vladimir Putin has never said anything about having any interest in reconstituting the Soviet Union or invading Poland or any of this. This was but all da- but just Dave, pure... he's modern day he's modern day Hitler repackaged. Yes. You know right, exactly. he intends to. All just pure war propaganda coming out of the West. So that and and I do think that that was powerful that no matter how many times maybe i've said it on rogan or you've said it on a bunch of big podcasts or scott said it on a lot of things like there's something about him saying it to tucker carlson that is very powerful but that's it he's always said this there's no change here in what he's ever said vladimir putin and this is something john mearsheimer makes this point all the time when people will be like well if he you know if we let him win the war in ukraine then he's going to move on poland and and he goes there's not and you know john mearsheimer is like the expert on everything about russian history and the whole yeah, history of this he's conflict very, very good. and he's always said that he goes you cannot point to anything putin's ever said that indicates this or any action they've ever taken there's no reason and for him to say it right there plain as day he goes can you imagine any scenario where you move on poland and he goes i I guess if poland attacks us maybe we'd have to move on them but short of that that's just not happening you know and um, i I think that's it it was really important though that you know, 50 or 100 or 200 million people or whatever are going to hear this. Who knows because, what this is going to be at the end? It, it's going to yeah. be a lot of people. It's going to be enormous. Yes. Dude, his, yeah. his, his promo, his four-minute promo did like 50 million or 100 million views, something, some outrageously high number. So the interview itself, but I mean, cross between X and his website, it's going to be absolutely massive. But, and then everyone who like cuts it oh, and all puts the clips. it on YouTube and all yeah, the fun, like what know, we're doing it's, right it's, now it's yeah, I yeah, mean, yeah yeah it's like billions all right let's uh let's hop into the Nord Stream take because this I thought was interesting too the Germans clearly know that their NATO partner did this but they and it damaged their economy greatly it may never recover why are they being silent about it that's very confusing 
to me? Why wouldn't the Germans say something about it? This also confuses me. But today's German leadership is guided by the interests of the collective West rather than its national interests. Otherwise, it is difficult to explain the logic of their action or inaction. After all, it is not only about Nord Stream 1, which was blown up, and the Nord Stream 2 was damaged. But one pipe is safe and sound, and gas can be supplied to Europe through it. But Germany does not open it. We are ready, please. So I think that this, once again, kind of plays into the, you know, he's certainly trying to reach the German population and say right. like, hey, your your government is not working in your best interest. Uh, you, I just want you to be aware. And obviously that's also to my benefit if you guys turn against your own government. So you can you can see his angle on it, but I also think it's true. <laughs> and I think that this is this is what we've been experiencing with these these border bills over the past 10 days or whatever it's been since they they tried to do the the defense the defense border bill where it was going to be Ukraine, Israel, Taiwan and then a pe a penance or a pittance rather for for the actual border and then they try to stand alone for Israel that fails and now they're trying to stand alone for Ukraine who knows if that's going to it just right. it just got through right. the senate but I, we don't know right, what right. the outcome yeah, of that it did is get through the senate so, yeah, so maybe it will maybe it will pass um, yeah but look, but here here's the point that I'm making with it though it, what it what it strikes me of is that our political establishment is exactly what he's describing in Germany, a, a, a government that is not working to the benefit of its people and not even pretending to at this point. Uh, I don't know. What do you what do you think? Well, right. Yeah. So I think that's a, that's exactly right. And, and and if you ask the question, as Tucker did, which I think this still, you know, and I, I love Tucker. I'm friends with Tucker at this point, And I uh, literally just before we started the show, just sent him a text message about what a fucking badass I think he is and what a great uh, yeah. uh, job he did. Um, but I do think this is a little bit of the kind of naivete of Tucker. Um, and maybe not. Maybe that's just the way he asked the question. But this is almost where they're like, ah, man, if you're not like a real hardcore radical libertarian, you're just not going to get all this shit. But it's like, well, why doesn't Germany's government act on behalf of their people? And it's like because of like basic public choice theory that it's like, well, Germany's government, you know, it's like read anatomy of the state. Like Germany's <laughs> government is not Germany. Germany's government is a small group of powerful people. And for those powerful people... Is it in their interest right. to rat out the United States of America? Will that make them wealthier? Or will going along with the United States of America make them wealthier? Now, it might make their country as a whole, the average, like the lot in life of the average German might be better if they told the truth. But that's not what counts. Like in 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 the same way, this is this is the insanity of the religion of government. Whereas like if you just went like, to your like local pizzeria down the street let's say there's a place five blocks away that makes better pizza and you went why don't they tell everyone that the place five blocks away makes better pizza because if they really wanted to serve their customers <laughs> that would help them more to just tell them there's a place with better pizza at a lower price five blocks away but of course immediately when we hear that we all go well obviously the answer 
is because they don't care about those people. <laughs> they fucking care about their own business, right? And so sure. it's just you just have to look at government through that lens, and then immediately you go, well, what a stupid question. You know, and I love Tucker, <laughs> but what a stupid question. Of course but, we know why they don't tell that. Now, I will say, I do think Tucker gets this to some degree, but I, I will say another thing, by the way, when I when I went off on that rant at the very beginning of this show about how they're lying about everything in this war, and I went through all the things that they've lied about, I didn't even mention Nord Stream. Like, I completely fucking forgot to even, like, include yep. that in there. That they started by saying Russia did this. Like, they, that was, like, the talking point in our corporate media. And much like everything else, have they ever gone, hey, we got that wrong. And it wasn't Russia. No, they just oh, let, stopped talking about it. Let me let they me add stopped. another one. Let me let me add another one that you didn't mention. Uh, fucking Ukraine bombed Poland, and then Zelensky said we need to pre like preemptively strike with nuclear weapons against Russia based off of a fucking lie. I mean, like the the list and of deceit. Did. Yes, what's there, that? There have been uh, uh, since 2022. There have been two major attacks on NATO countries. <laughs> and by the way, Ukraine ain't a NATO country, but nope. Germany is and Poland is, and they were both attacked and they were both attacked by the West or yeah. Ukraine or Ukraine or, or Ukraine. And, and look, we're not we're not really sure which, but I thought I thought it was and I didn't her, clip this part, but Putin was very clear. He's like, it was you. It was your people. Oh, it yeah. was the CIA. Goes, oh, and then he called Tucker out. He goes, he was the organization you wanted, you to, wanted work to work for. for. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> like, wow. This guy cuts deep. This guy did his research before yeah. he did this show. Well, look, I mean, I'll say let's give Zelensky the absolute most benefit of the doubt, which I do not think he deserves. But for whatever reason, let's give it to him. Let's say that he didn't know that it was Ukrainian forces that bombed Poland. And he thought, and let's also say it was an accident. Like, let's just because we don't know any of that, but let's just Yo, assume all of that's true. He still, without doing his due diligence, insisted it was Russia and insisted we launch a preemptive attack against Russia, or maybe not a preemptive attack, a, a response to them bombing Poland. And he was willing, and he said that not knowing that it was actually Ukrainian missiles that hit Poland. That's enough to go, let's not ever listen to that guy again. And if we don't give him the maximum benefit of the doubt, he knew and lied and said it was Russia and tried to get us into a hot war with the country with the largest stockpile of nuclear weapons. And if yeah. you want to go one step further, you'd say they intentionally bombed Poland to frame as a false flag to frame Russia. Now, I'm not saying it's that one. I'm saying those are the three possibilities. Exactly. There's really nothing else. So yeah, either none one, of them are good. One of them are bad. Yeah. yeah none of them are yeah. good. And, and some of them actually risk all life on earth on a lie. I mean, that's, that's right. a very, right. and, well, and all of them and, risk all life on earth. Well, yes, but true. It's just how bad but, is the risk? But, or how but yeah, but then, you? but then, then we're being fucking robbed to the tunes of hundreds of billions of dollars to fund this guy who almost lied into having my entire fan, uh, you know, family, friends, everybody I know on earth just evaporated. Like, yeah. I don't, 
respect that at all. And I don't know why people aren't more upset about it. Like, everyone's so upset with Putin. And I'm like, Zelensky almost fucking got us nuked, too. Can right. we have at least a semblance? And let me let me just play this for you, because this is this is actually the, the media's takes on Zelensky in recent history. And I think you'll you'll find it. Uh, the 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 stark contrast with which Putin approached, uh, or with which Tucker approached Putin versus this is mind blowing. Carlson is not a journalist, not even close. He kind of just walks right into Moscow and presents himself on a silver silver platter to the Kremlin, doing the Kremlin's job of misinforming, disinforming the American population. His explanation of why he's doing it, that he's a journalist and he needs to inform people, he can call himself whatever he wants. I think uh, his work is demonstrable as not being just about giving people information. He has a point of view and often it's not aligned with the facts. Putin talks to an American friend, the Russian president turning to right-wing conspiracy theorist Tucker Carlson. And it comes as Kremlin propagandist Tucker Carlson, a leading voice of the right-wing disinformation campaign is in Moscow. Ironically, he is there in the name of keeping Americans informed, sitting down for an interview with Vladimir Putin. Tucker Carlson is neither a journalist uh, nor a reporter, but he has played one on TV. Tucker Carlson still doesn't have a job. He's in Moscow house hunting, I hope. But no, actually, Tucker is there to interview Vladimir Putin, which is so overtly ridiculous. Yep, Tucker Carlson interviewing. I can't watch anymore without losing my mind. You get the idea. Uh, these people are just such fucking scumbags. It's mind-blowing. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, like, it's just remarkable that, like, these people are the propagandists, and they can just sit up there with a straight face and call him the propagandist. And it's like, do, does Tucker have his own point of view, his own biases, his own perspective, his own desires for outcomes and things like that? Uh, crystal clear that he does, and he's, he doesn't seem to hide them at all. These motherfuckers hide it 24-7. They pretend as if they're delivering straight news, and then they just lie through their teeth. I don't... Uh, very well, look, I mean, this is this is just kind of what I was saying at the beginning, that all they can do is uh, and this is all those clips you were showing is before the uh, before the interview came out. So all they can do is poison the well because they've been lying about everything. And so they've right. got to be they're very worried that you're going to hear the other side and look like it's the, the same way. Obviously, a different situation, but in many senses, it's this the uh, very similar like uh, reaction to when, as me and you were on a Tim Pool's show arguing with him that day, that when Osama bin Laden's letter to America, for whatever reason, some lefty TikTokers discovered it and started sharing <laughs> it around, they had to uh, censor it from The Guardian and ban the hashtag on TikTok and, you know, make sure that no one could see it, or at least they slowed down the rate of people who could see it. And why is it? Is it because you're going to, like... Obviously, Osama bin Laden, his letter to America has a whole bunch of like jihadist Islamist shit in it. And obviously Putin's, you know, interview today has a lot of like pro-Russian propaganda behind it. But really their concern is that you're going to hear the other side of the story and that you'll at some point at least go like, oh, okay. So like, yes, Osama bin Laden is a murderous radical jihadist. Um, but there's also these grievances he's got there and, oh shit, some of them are legitimate grievances. And it just leads you to the, the conclusion of like, if you're, if you're a thoughtful, honest person, you go, oh, so he's really pissed off that we're blowing up Muslim babies. Huh. 
He's really pissed off that we have bases in Saudi Arabia. Oh, he's really pissed off that we give unconditional support to Israel doing whatever they want to the Palestinians. Maybe we shouldn't do that. Right. You know, like, and and like you could listen to this interview with Putin, and it doesn't mean you have to agree with everything he said about the history of Ukraine and Russia, but you would go like, oh, yeah, maybe when he was saying, hey, let's make a deal and keep Ukraine independent and not interfere in their domestic politics, like, oh, yeah, maybe we should have done that. And maybe, maybe if Ukraine and Russia had a peace deal worked out three months into the war, maybe we should have let them have that deal and yep. not squashed it to keep the war going for two fucking years. And, and so he like, convinced he, he confirmed those reports about Boris Johnson, too. Um, yeah. You know, which I think we already knew where that was the yeah, case. Yeah, but it they've was just, been they've been confirmed over and over. Yeah. But yeah, still. But so it's like that's the reason why they're freaked out. And, and so what they're doing there in that clip is going, hey, just so you know, Tucker's not a journalist, whatever that fucking means, like whatever the the official, you know, like. You know, like I, I was talking about this with Rob earlier. It's like saying you're not a journalist is like, it's kind of like saying you're not a libertarian or saying you're not a stand-up comedian. Mm. It was like, what what does that mean? Yeah, I don't know. What's the objective? You know, okay, sure, fine. He's not a journalist, but you are Chris, guy Chris on Cuomo. MSNBC. <laughs> Chris Cuomo, right. You're guy a guy who's covering for his, his brother. Yeah. Yes, the guy who did the phony, uh, uh, you know, reemergence from his basement after yeah. having COVID. When Real journalist. We have, we have video of him outside while he had COVID. Okay, fine. Yes, you're the joke, real, man. whatever that means. But all they're doing is poisoning the well. They're just telling you, listen, whatever you hear there, don't even listen to it. Dismiss yeah. it before you hear it. That's all. Well, bef before you got here, uh, I played the clip from John Kirby today where he's saying exactly that, explicitly so. He's saying, right. just don't don't believe anything and just remember who's saying it's Putin. But this is this is the clip that I, I really want to dive into because I'm the finance guy. You know, like this, right, this right, when, right. when he said this, I was like, oh, shit. Like, this is really important for the American people to understand. So I want to highlight it. It was decision of the United States to restrict our transactions in U.S. dollars. I think it is complete foolishness from the point of view of the interests of the United States itself and its taxpayers, as it damages the U.S. economy, undermines the power of the United States across the world. By the way, our transactions in Yuan accounted for about 3%. Today, 34% of our transactions are made in rubles and about as much, a little over 34% in Yuan. Why did the United States do this? My only guess is self-conceit. They probably thought it would lead to full collapse, but nothing collapsed. Moreover, other countries, including oil producers, are thinking of and already accepting payments for oil in yuan. Do you even realize what is going on or not? Does anyone in the United States realize this? I do. I I realize <laughs> I've been warning <laughs> about it for a few of us. Yeah, yeah, for a few years I've been screaming as loudly as possible that you know our our entire economic system being is is predicated off us being the U.S. dollar, you know, the reserve currency status of, or uh, you know of the world, and and if we lose that, it's going to be extremely traumatic, not just to the American people, but really the global economy, and and it seems as if the the leadership 
in America is attempting to expedite it. And, and even Putin says, does anybody realize what's happening? Does any, and, and I, I, it struck me as sincere in that, I mean, certainly it's to his benefit to say, hey, American people, your standard of living is going to decline because of this. But it also is just obviously correct that, that because they've confiscated hundreds of billions of dollars from their central bank, because they kicked them off of SWIFT, because they've done all of these sanctions, that many other nations are now adding themselves into the BRICS alliance and, and they're trading in either yuan, rubles, whatever, yeah. just getting the fuck out of the U.S. dollar. And this does not portend good things for us. Well, I certainly agree with your analysis as far as what the motives of the people in, you know, in charge of our government were thinking, I, I, I tend to, to guess, and I'm totally speculating here, but I tend to guess that really this just is hubris. Yeah. And that that's that to me seems like the easiest answer for so many of the blunders, the foreign policy blunders over the last 20 years that, you know, look, Joe Biden obviously is not really running our government. I think we all know that. But at the same time, when Joe Biden was asked a couple months ago when the war in Gaza first broke out and he was asked, do, uh, do you think that we uh, we can fight this war in Ukraine and this war in, in Gaza at the same time? We can fund both of them. He went, of course, we're the United States of America. And I do tend to think that he's repeating what the people around him have been saying. And I think that's their attitude for the most part. And and you could imagine. That's like, almost look, scarier. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, but I think I think that's what's really going on. And as you can imagine, we we all know everybody personally knows a like a situation in life where either things were going so good for you, or you had so much power in whatever little realm it is that you get were cocky. like, yeah, you get cocky. You just go like, whatever. This guy, you know, you're playing a game of one-on-one -on -one basketball against someone who you're so much better than, and you start, like, going behind the back and taking, like, trick shots and things like that, and before you know, he beats you. You're like, ah, shit. I, like I got Big way J too versus, cocky. This is like Big J versus Lewis. <laughs> that's what happened. That's what happened. It was, eh, maybe that's not the best example, but I'm just saying, uh, I think that the the idea of the U.S. being like, we're going to cut you off from the dollar has been so effective for so long and that they were just like, yeah, this is going to tank you. And I, I really do think, I could be wrong about this, but I really do think that they thought that was going to tank the Russian economy. And they yeah. did not realize that actually that, that might be the beginning of the end of our economy. Because as soon as you cut an act, a substantial country off from the dollar and they went, okay, we'll find a different way to do business. That right. then a whole bunch of other countries went, ooh, okay, we well, can find, you know, let me just say this. Peter Schiff yeah. used to give this example, and I think this was such a good way to put it, that basically if you look at the global economy and you look at the way it's been working for quite a while, America is a consumer-based economy. China is a production-based economy. And, and then there's lots of other economies that have their own, you know, versions of each. But basically, that's how things work and have worked for quite a while, is that America's economy runs off of 
consumption and debt. And China's economy runs off of production and exports. And the way Peter Schiff used to say it is he goes, imagine you were on a desert island and you had, um, you know, like there was an American and a bunch of Asians around and the Asians were all producing things, you know, and they were all like, uh, you know, I'm, I'm going to build this. I'm going to hunt for food. I'm going to, you know, whatever. And the Americans said, okay, what I'll do is I'll sit here and I'll eat all of it. And I'll live in the house that you produce. And then there could be some like neoclassical modern economist who goes, well, the American is actually driving all of this economic production <laughs> because that without his consumption base, they'd have nothing to produce for. But the reality is this is all bullshit. And you're not doing anything except sucking off what everybody else produces. Yeah. And so, by, by the way, that's not the total picture there are some things that america produces but i think that in a weird way it was almost like the americans were that guy on the island who went well uh, uh, okay you're pissing me off hunter well guess what i'm not gonna eat your food anymore right <laughs> and then as soon as they stopped they just went oh there's just more food for me right. this is totally unnecessary to well, have but, you leeching but, off of us but dave think about how fucking moronic this is you you know that Russia's primary export, if not like the, almost their only export, is oil and gas and mm -hmm. natural resources. Why would you ever think that the rest of the world is going to not want to buy it? Why? Why would you possibly think that? Why would you think that because they're kicked off of SWIFT or because the, you, you steal their, their rubles or whatever and you sanction them into oblivion that they're not going to find alternative well, rails you might think, to acquire? Well, you might think because we have the most uh, powerful military force that no one's going to want to be on the wrong side of us. Well, the problem is that we miscalculate off a lot of people. Yep. And, and a lot of people are going like, you know, uh, look, from the very beginning of this war, the whole thing has been that, and from, the, from way before the war, from all the history that Putin's laying out, the thing has been that we've treated Vladimir Putin like he's Saddam Hussein or yep. Muammar Gaddafi. That we've gone, he's gone, hey, I have security concerns and I will not let you do this. And we've gone, okay, who are you again? You know, <laughs> like we've treated him like he's Saddam Hussein. Saddam Hussein was a five-year-old threatening to fight a 40-year-old, you know? But that's not what fucking Putin is. No. Putin is a five-year-old with a gun threatening to fight a 40-year-old with a gun. And that changes everything. Even the size of his economy or the size of his international reach, it's like once a five-year-old's got a gun pointed at you, you're like, even if he's just five, he might know how to pull that fucking trigger. And Putin's got nukes. This is different. Yep. And so there were a lot of these, like when we first went, no one's going to not want to, like, we're stronger than everyone. No one's going to fuck with us, except... China and Russia are sitting on a stockpile of H-bombs. Yeah. And they're like, actually, you can't really do shit to us. So we're going to fucking like recalibrate this whole thing. And then there were other countries like Iran and, and, and a bunch of others who were like just so pissed off at, at, that they're all almost like, well, look, I can't be terrorized by this guy with a gun forever. And this guy with a gun is saying he's got my back.
and he wants to do right. business. So, well, okay, let's do business. But, but think of the irony of it too. The, the reason that like you might've had enough pressure against these nations if they weren't dealing with inflation because of our lockdowns and because of the yeah, trades that we yeah. put in 2020. So these nations are looking at, at natural resources and they're saying, wait, I can buy a barrel of Russian oil for five bucks less than I can get it somewhere else. Okay, I'll do that. Yeah. It's because it's to yeah. the benefit of my people. And 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 guess what? America more to the benefit of them, you know, more than well, their yes. people. But yeah, yeah. But you know what I'm saying? Like it, it, sure, if their sure. people are happy, it, it ultimately right, helps keep right. them in power. Um, so I mean, it's just it's just unbelievable how like essentially the American empire has just stepped on its dick over and over and over again. And, and it doesn't seem to be reflecting. It's like these motherfuckers don't own mirrors at all. They don't ever actually like go, well, that was a terrible idea. Let's look in the mirror. Let's think about what we did wrong here. No, let's just on to the next, on to the next. Should we have locked down? Uh, no, on to the next Ukraine. Oh, we're going to get out of Afghanistan. That didn't work out. On to the next Ukraine. Okay, here we go. On to the next. Now let's kick them off of Swift and see if the U S dollar can survive. Yeah, on to yeah, the next. Look, it's, it's like every hubris. fucking thing they're doing is so bad. But, like the hubris is so wild it's so wild to think that after the the years of lockdowns and like the whole covid insanity that they'd go oh we can go fight a proxy war against russia now and not think fuck we got to at least take a year to regroup and and bring our own people back in this is we're watching something really wild today where they're like you know it it's uh, I don't exactly know what to compare it to, like what the analogy is, but it's like an addict who's lost his entire family, like a gambling addict or something like that, who's like lost his house, lost his wife, lost his kids, and then goes, look, man, I got one big bet coming up. And you're like, dude, what the fuck are you talking about? Like, <laughs> stop, stop betting. Go talk to your wife. Like, try to bring your life back together. You know, and there's just none of that. So there, right away, the, the fact that, look, think about after ending the war in Afghanistan, how quickly was it that we got into Ukraine? I mean, very, like, I think it was weeks. Six, six months, I think. Yeah, I think it was less than that. But w yeah, whatever. Yeah. Like, uh, so after ending the war in Afghanistan, let's say, imagine you fight a 20-year catastrophic war where, I mean, you know, you, you decide in late 2001 that instead of just trapping Osama bin Laden in Tora Bora, where you could have gotten him, you're going to let him escape and we're going to fight a regime change war against the Taliban. That was in 2001. That was when I was 19. You know, that we <laughs> made that decision. We no. left it last year or two years ago. Okay. From 19 to 38 is, or 39 is, is, was my age from the war in Afghanistan. And we leave yep. this fighting a regime change war against the Taliban. And at the end of it, we're trillions of dollars in the hole. Hundreds of thousands of people have died. And we're, and we leave it with the Taliban stronger and, you know, better armed than ever before. That the the result after that wouldn't go. We got to go regroup for a little while. It'd go. All right. What's next? What's our next war that we're going to get into? That's the type of attitude that our leaders have, and this is yeah. you know, that's something we all got to recognize.
Like what? Yeah, but they, it's but they're they're just playing <laughs> chess on such a like rudimentary level, or like they're playing che- checkers, and it feels like Xi Jinping and Putin are playing chess, and and you know but, that yeah. doesn't. That gives me great concern because despite the fact that I'm no fan of the American government, I live under these motherfuckers and I'd really like to not, you know, have the U.S. dollar uh, evaporate and, and see the, the just unbelievable catastrophe that that would, that would be left in, in the wake of that. And it's like these people are completely unwilling to, to reverse course so much so that they are willing to allow... Uh, from the the most recent numbers I saw, Dave, and this this will get us in trouble because we're talking about the border right now. But mm-hmm. from the most recent numbers I saw, there was approximately eight million that came across the border last year alone. Eight million. Now, there's there's differing reports. Some people say it's only three million. Some people say it's two and a half. Some people say, it, but eight million is it, like you know whatever the government numbers are, it's going to be higher than that for sure. They will not spend a dollar to try and address that issue, despite the fact that it is the number one issue amongst GOP voters and a quickly uh, you know, elevating issue amongst Democrat voters. Even Democrats are fucking freaking out about the border issue, and they will still now do a standalone bill to ship 80 fucking, ni- or no, it was $96 well, billion dollars to Ukraine. Yeah, look, I mean, it's, with all this stuff, like with everything, it all it basically all boils down to Ron Paul was right about everything. And the correct answer is that, look, dude, we've got, I mean, just think about it, how crazy it is. We've got our troops all throughout Europe, all throughout Asia, all throughout the Middle East. And what's the obvious answer? It's that all of our troops should come home and be stationed around our borders. That's it. You're telling me we can't shut our border down, but we can run all of Europe, Asia, and the Middle East? Get the fuck out of here, dude. We, we can Bring fight all of our We can fight a home. multi-front World War III. Yeah, come on. Bring them all home and put them all on our borders. This is insane. This is, and, and I know there's some libertarians who will disagree with me, but I, I will tell you I've grown less and less patient with any of these arguments, especially because I thought, obviously, I'm not saying I'm like any type of like fucking philosopher or intellectual. I'm I'm not. I am not an intellectual. I am a fucking nightclub comedian. But I'm just saying like for whatever influence I have in this libertarian world, which for whatever reason I happen to have arrived at this point, I've been putting forth the argument about why open borders are not the correct libertarian position for like years at this point and i've never gotten anything except you're a racist or whatever you know like no one's ever actually like taken on any of my arguments and the few people who have tried to have like totally failed at it and again they're not my arguments they're fucking rothbard and hoppa and lou rockwell and ron paul's arguments but like i'm just saying like no one actually has a response to it and like we've gotten to a point where it's like yo this is fucking insane like, I don't care. You're, <laughs> if you believe in open borders right now under current situation, uh, under current circumstances, you're an insane person and you're as bad as a communist. You're, you're <laughs> as bad as saying, well, I believe in this theory and sure, my theory is going to result in the destruction of your kids' lives, but 
I'm so committed to this theory that you got to break a few eggs to make an omelet or something like that. I'm just like not even interested in talking <laughs> to you anymore. This is like too crazy. And so like the answer is take our fucking entire military and put them on our border and secure our border. If you think like for all the shit the U.S. government is capable of doing and it is the biggest, largest, most powerful organization in the history of the world. We fucking drone bomb weddings in Yemen. You know what I mean? Like we do whatever the fuck we want to. If you think the strip from fucking Texas, Arizona and California over Mexico can't be shut off. Like we don't have the power to do that. I'll tell you, we absolutely do. We would just need the political will to do it. And also popular support amongst Americans for these foreign wars is evaporating. Popular support amongst Americans for shutting down our border is enormous. It'd be so easy to do if there was political will to do it. Bring all of our troops home yep. and put them on the border and stop this bullshit immediately. It makes no sense. I agree. We have no, I there, agree, there is no libertarian principle or other ethical principle that you can say that everyone of the, in the world has a right to come into America. Just doesn't make any sense at all. So, you know, I mean, it's easier said than done, but that's the correct answer. Well, we got a question from Abergate. Thank you so much. $50 Super Chat says, Dave, you are wrong. You claim Putin would never admit to being duped, but in fact, in the first hour I just listened to, he uh, made the argument that you fooled us several times. I understand you didn't have a lot of time to analyze this, but you aired. What do you say to that? Um, well, no, I mean, what he actually said was uh, he he was talking about before he was in power. So he was saying that the, that the U.S. duped uh, Russia from like 91 through 2000. So if you actually go back and look at right. that, I don't think there's any time where he said when he was in power, he was duped by America. Correct me if I'm wrong. Again, I was like putting kids well, to sleep while I listened to part of it. But for the most part, he was talking about right at the uh, the collapse of the Soviet Union through like the fucking 90s expansion, the first round of expansion of NATO. But I, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I missed part of that. Well, I think I think the only thing that he did acknowledge, he didn't really say that he aired, but you know his 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 retelling of the the peace negotiations and the i think it was bucharest and he was he was referencing a bunch of times that they had in principle negotiated deals that could have avoided all of this and that they were immediately yeah, thrown in the trash i don't think that that's deal. really him saying that he aired yeah, as much as he, it's him saying yes uh you know i was I was being lied to by these fucking scumbags. Yeah, he he was saying he was willing to come <laughs> to the table and they wouldn't come to the table. That's not exactly what I was saying. But I, I mean, you might be right, commenter. <laughs> Sorry, I'm I'm running through these uh, super chats because we got a bunch of them. Well, while I while I do that, um, I I'm just curious. I already heard your your kind of after the fact uh, take on your interview with RFK, which by the way, fantastic job. I know it was very, oh, it was very uh, painful for you because, yeah, because you, uh, you know, you have a good relationship with him and, and you were hoping for the best as was I for the record. Um, but well, the major, the major question I had for you, you, you implied without saying so necessarily in concrete that it seems as if maybe he's compromised. And, and I'm just curious because there was there was a sense of him arguing 
in a, in a in a seemingly passionate way that like maybe he's just being force fed the wrong information or do you think that there's any chance of that that he's just just wrong um you know look i i don't know like i don't know for for those of you guys who have listened to the episode i don't know any more than you know so let me just be clear about that right I just find it really hard to believe he's just being force-fed the wrong information. But I don't know. It's like there, there's certain things where he's just bending over backward to justify anything, you know, and just only give the Israeli propaganda point of view and nothing else. And that's, uh, like I said on the episode, it's kind of dumbfounding to me. And um, I just, I don't know. I have, I have a tough time believing if you would just go to, like, anyone who, like, you're an outsider. You're the third-party candidate. You know what I mean? Like, you're the guy. You're the guy who's willing to take on the pharmaceutical industrial complex and all this shit. And I go, hey, does Israel have, like, a little bit too much influence in our domestic politics? And you go... I don't really know what you're talking about. Like, really? Really? You don't know what I'm talking about. You're not familiar. <laughs> Nothing in that, like, rings a bell to you. APAC. The Epstein, 50 years that you've been around like American nothing, politics. Never? Nothing, nothing about that. <laughs> you know, like, and I probably, there's almost like a thing where I probably should have, like, asked an immediate follow-up question. Because, you know, there was a thing where he was, which is really like, I don't know, we kind of sparred back and forth. And I don't know, I could have done a better job. You know, I listened back to the episode. There's a lot of things I could have said that I didn't say. But one of them was, and really, with all the people who are like, oh, Dave ruined RFK's political career. Dave destroyed him. It, what really you're talking about, I've done a lot of debates, you know, like I've, I'm very seasoned at this. And what you're talking about is not anything I did. I didn't actually do anything to beat him. He did it. He did it to himself. And what really happened was that when I asked him that question, he was silent for like seven seconds and then went, yep. I don't know. I, I'm, I'm really not sure. And I probably could have followed up with something like, I go, okay, but Bobby, when you were just silent for seven seconds, Weren't you thinking about all the incentives in your head already? Like, weren't you thinking about, like, hey, shit, how can I answer this? Because that's the only question I've asked you in this whole episode where you were silent for the whole time. And, you know, aside from that, like, he, you know, Bobby, and I'm not knocking him for this, but he's very long-winded, as I am too. Anyone listening to this episode knows I, I fucking take a long time to answer the questions. I'm doing it right now. But I take a long time to answer questions. I get it. But it was a little bit tough because you're like, he takes a long time to answer a question. And then I got to think of like, okay, which of the nine things he just said do I want to respond to? And then I'd start responding and he'd cut me off. And I'd be like, no, 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 I want to say this. And then he'd talk again. And I'm like, no, I'd cut him off. And so like, I don't know. It was just weird. But I just don't, I don't understand how if you're being honest with yourself, like I would never be in the position of saying like, if you were like, hey, everything the Arabs have done back to the Israelis has been justified. And I had to bend over backward to go, look, 
the, the, the Antifada was justified, and the second Antifada was justified, and October 7th was justified, and look, they didn't want to do October 7th, but they just had to do October 7th, because they left them no other choice, right. which, you know, you could do, and I know pro-Palestinian people who do that, and I, like you, you know, I kind of just roll my eyes and go, ah, shut up, that's not actually fair, but you, he's you'd doing have, You'd have to dye your hair Israel. purple to do that. Yes, but he's doing that for Israel. He's he's literally saying to me there, they want to give the West Bank back. They don't want to occupy the West Bank. They just have to because if they gave them back, they'd vote in Hamas. So they just have to occupy the West Bank. And they have to build settlements with hundreds of thousands of people all throughout the West Bank because otherwise, you know, and you're like, come, just come the fuck on. Like, this is just, yeah. you know, and, it's and it's like, this is just not honest. And I don't believe you really believe this. So whatever else is going on in the background, I don't know. But yeah, who I, knows? I have the same uh, suspicions Matt you have. Let's just say that. Yes, exactly. Uh, uh, Matthew Lucas says, who would win in a history rant contest, Putin or Scott Horton? Uh, the answer to any history rant contest is always Scott Horton. So we'll I, just no, keep dude, it moving. Scott, um, Scott would run <laughs> circles around Putin. And like, put, listen, put, Scott Horton is a fucking like, you know, he's a fucking, Scott's a weird guy. But he's a fucking, he's got a photographic memory and he's just a truth teller. And I'm not saying he never gets anything wrong, but he's just there to tell the truth. He's not like a fucking state fucking propagandist. He'd fucking annihilate Putin. That'd be great to see. It would. Uh Evergate once again says this couldn't be a more important issue for me. I followed the Ukraine conflict as far back as the Maidan and was furious then. It was clear to me in 2012 we were cooking up conflict with Russia. I oppressed this for 12 damn years and no one cared. Well, I cared, but I just didn't. I just didn't think that this would ever come to this because I thought that there would be no way that two nuclear powers would ever come this close to actually fighting one another. I was naive. Uh, Libertarian Podcast mm. Review says, what are the odds Putin's research into Tucker included Dave's episode? Uh, God, that's interesting. I don't know. I mean, I don't, probably not crazy high, you know, but like if you were going to do yeah. research into Tucker, there's a lot of things you could get before my episode, but maybe that'd be nice. <laughs> that'd be cool. <laughs> that would be. Um, got a bunch more. I met you in Chicago for your comedy show and wore my fat Dave Smith shirt last year. As someone who supports RFK Jr., I disagree with him on Israel, so thank you for pushing back with him on that. All right. So, Very cool. So even so even an RFK Jr. Dave. supporter can still be... Uh, yeah. I, I, well, I'm sorry. going back to Chicago uh, next month, and you are not welcome. Not because of RFK support, because of the fat Dave <laughs> t-shirt, for the record. Let that be known. Of course. Uh, Brent... Brian says, on the border, why don't I ever hear the alternate argument that having an open border enables dictators around the world to persecute their populations and exile their criminals? We enable it. Well, I mean, I think that kind of kind of gets rid of their their responsibility for torturing their people. So I think that's why we don't focus on that angle so much. But it's certainly yeah. true. There has been examples of prisons being uh, emptied out and you know people being told to to go to America. It happened from Cuba. So it's not well, it's look, not unheard I, of. I, I think the more important question, and particularly for libertarians, is we are libertarians, and that's kind of uh, at least a lot of the audience we have, is like, okay, but theoretically, if a country wants to fucking, let's say, 
uh, take their prison. Let's just say it's a prison. It's a libertarian country, and the prisoners are all violent criminals, you know, not like people who don't deserve to be there, theoretically. And they go, hey, our rapists and murderers, we're sending them over to your country. Do we have an obligation to take them in? That's the type of questions that I think so many libertarians are uncomfortable ask, uh, asking themselves or answering. But I am just here to say unequivocally, no. And then, by the way, <laughs> even if they're not rapists or murderers, we still don't have an obligation to take them in. Because that's kind of the thing. Like, once you accept one step, you kind of accept the other. Like, no. And it really is, uh, and I know libertarians get pissed off at this, but it's the same thing as just in my house. Who do I have an obligation to take into my house? Well, actually, no one. I mean, my wife and my kids, I probably have an obligation to. But aside from that, no one. But like, Clint, if you want to come over, you're more than welcome. Oh, thanks, brother. I, you're, you're welcome in Miami anytime. Um, I'll, I'll end with this because I've, I've already taken you uh, much longer than I anticipated. And honestly, uh, my connection is, uh, or one of our connections is not so hot. Yeah, so yeah, there's yeah, a little yeah. bit of there's lag here. There's been a little here, delay but... over the last few minutes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Yeah, but but the the final question I have for you, as as you know, I have announced for for VP. I did so uh, after much much thought because so many in our community were they wanted they wanted a firebrand, they wanted Dave Smith, and I was like, all right, well, I'll be a fucking I'll be a C list uh, Dave Smith for you guys and and try and try and do my best. I'm just curious if you have any advice for me. I mean, is there is there anything that uh, that you think I should I should work on? Uh, you know. Constructive criticism, basically. All right. Uh, first of all, you got to grow some hair. Um, <laughs> aside from that, I really can't tell you much. Um, but I should let, quit now, Tower Gang, too. Nah, dude, you got to double down on Tower Gang. That's the only way you're going to win this thing. You got to go all Tower Gang. Yeah, no, obviously, you should quit Tower Gang. You should have quit that years ago. Those guys are just holding you back. But I... Uh, uh, listen, man. I think you're. I think you're a great VP choice, and I think that you kind of like are already doing all the things I would tell you to do. And obviously, along the way, I'll let you know what I think you should be saying or what I think you should be doing. But the th the reason why you're a great pick is not just because look, you're really good at talking about this shit. You're really good about saying it in, in a compelling way, and you do your homework. This is the thing that I love about you that I try to like encourage everybody else in the libertarian space to do. It's like you got to like there's no shortcuts in this and you can't just learn a few slogans and then think, oh, I'll go out and say these slogans and that'll win everybody over. And uh, so that's that's why I think you're you're a great VP pick. That's why I think that, um, you know, that's what I've liked about Michael Rechtenwald in in as far as the people who are running is that like, here's a guy who I think can actually talk about things like a lot of them. And I don't see that call me crazy, but I don't see that from any of the other presidential candidates. I think that if whoever we're talking about, whether it's uh, even the people who are like, okay, so like uh chase who's running is more I, I i would say i don't think this is being unfair maybe he would disagree with me but i think he represents more of the old guard of the libertarian party or at least more of the kind of progressive libertarian thing where he's gonna say you know i'm like an lgbtq friendly you know libertarian 
And uh, I'm, I'm sure there's some issues I'd agree with him on. I'm sure there's some really important issues I'd agree with him on. But uh, he's very kind of like he's very good, probably much better than me at like delivering a paragraph without saying any ums or you knows or likes, you know, like what I do all the time. Uh, he's probably better than the, at me than that. Um, I've never heard anything deeper. I've never heard anything beyond slogans. I've never heard anything where it's like, oh, you really understand this issue and have a deep understanding of this. Um, I think that there's guys like um, Mike Termat or uh, whoever the guy who was the porn company guy uh, is who's spending a lot of money to flood. I just, I've just never heard anything from them on that. I think Josh Smith is much more my style of libertarian, but at the same time, I just feel like I've never heard him actually like give anything beyond slogans and give anything beyond like really give me like a deeper understand. Teach me something. Like I want to learn something from you. You want to be the fucking presidential candidate? Right. Teach me something. What do I not know that you know? You know? And I, I just don't get any yeah. of that. I don't, and I don't care about slogans. I mean, slogans are good, but I don't care about just like, I'll blow up the ATF and make it a dog park. Like, oh, okay, all right, fine. But uh, Rechtenwald, I've actually like read a few of his books and been like, oh shit, he knows a lot about this thing that I don't know about. So that's kind of where I'm coming from. Maybe I'm wrong and maybe that's not the, the thing that matters the most. Maybe, maybe I could be convinced otherwise. I'm I'm open-minded. Well, I think I think the the angle that they're taking or, or uh, like Josh is taking it seems to me is a bit more of a, a Trumpian approach where like I'm going to I'm going to just say I'm going to say our beliefs but I'm going to say it in a kind of inappropriate way to like fucking jar you and you know um but but your the reason you've been so successful and the reason I've followed your career for so long is because every time you're on a a long form platform I learn something. And, yeah. and I think that because we don't have any real shot of winning, well, then what matters more than to a actually reach people and convince them? Not yeah. not just like, Look, the, not slogan the, the ear, yes. but actually actually like reach into their soul and be like, yo, this is the truth and you didn't know it, but I'm going to fucking, I'm, not only am I going to teach you something, but I'm going to tell you game. exactly why I know that. Because we're right. playing a different game than Donald Trump. And and look, if anyone in the Libertarian Party was the most famous human being in the world, who was a billionaire, who was like, you know, you're like, yeah, okay, well, then maybe you could get away with that. But that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about being this distant third, and now with RFK, maybe fourth place candidate who's trying to like, the whole point of us doing this is to insert something into the national conversation. And look, I understand I'm in a position where like a lot of people wanted me to run and I was planning on running and then decided not to. And so what position am I in to tell anybody else how they're supposed to do it? But if you're going to ask me, I'll just tell you, look, this is my thoughts on the whole thing. But look, I don't know who the fucking, who the nominee should be. Well, I mean, I, I'll give you my thoughts on who it should be, but we'll see how this goes, and we'll see. Maybe somebody else gets involved in the race right now who hasn't been already, and then I'll have to reconsider things. I don't know, but I definitely support you as VP. I Let's support go. you if you were running for president, Clint. So fucking oh. uh, decide what you want to do. <laughs> well, that that's a that would be a major upgrade and would absolutely ruin my life. But I appreciate you wishing that. For You're me. right. You're right. Um, don't do that. <laughs> don't do that. <laughs> uh, 
Fi- final question to get you out of here. Um, if RFK were to get the nomination somehow, which the I, Libertarian Party you and I have nomination? already. T- it, it, yes, yes. And you and I have already covered this on our shows, and, and neither of us think that this is likely. Neither of us are supporting it. I just want to be fucking crystal clear about that. But assuming that the delegates say, we're going for 5%, let's, let's just do it. Let's just fucking do it. And and I am then voted for in the next round right after that. And I actually get the nomination as VP. Is it is it to our benefit for me to stick with this guy and try and correct everything he says that's not libertarian? Or is it better if I just abandon ship entirely? Jeez, yeah, that's a tough question. I know. This is why I'm asking you. Um <laughs> My my instincts are to say yes, stick around, but I wouldn't do it. <laughs> well, Does this is just sense? like me running for VP. <laughs> well, yeah, but I just like I don't know. My my thoughts are I I talked about this on a recent episode, a part of the problem, but I just go like I don't I'm not trying to make the perfect the enemy of the good. But there do have to be there. There does have to be some lines that you draw, you know, and like yeah. there's you know almost like if you were in a relationship, like if you were dating a girl, and in so many ways she was better than the other girls you've dated, but she was like verbally abusive or something like that, like and she was like you're a horrible person and you're ugly and you're this and you're like okay yeah she does that but my last girlfriend was like physically abusive you know and like would say all those same things and then throw fucking you know wine bottles at my face or something and you'd be like (laughs) yeah okay like but still you just shouldn't be with anyone (laughs) who like talks to you like this i don't know i just feel like there's something about like i don't listen and this is what I think a lot of people missed in the episode that I had with with RFK and kind of the aftermath of it. If RFK had said, I think Israel's right on this in this historic, you know, conflict, that wouldn't be my problem. I, I could get over that. If he was like, I'm on Israel's side, and I actually think Benjamin Netanyahu's right. Even if he said, I think he's right in the way he's responding to October 7th, and I think he's justified in this war, even that wouldn't be enough for me to say no. It's that he's declaring that I have to, by force, fund it. That, to me, is just too far. Yep. And I'm sorry, there's got to be someone, I think this is true, in all relationships in life, that there's got to be a line that you go like, nope. That And, and I think this is the, the most healthy thing. I think this is the healthiest thing for a personal relationship or a professional relationship, whatever. Whether it's your boss, whether it's your coworker, whether it's your wife, whether it's your girlfriend, whatever it is. I think the, the healthiest thing you can ever do is have a certain boundary where you're like, I simply will not stand for something on the other side of this boundary. You know, like I, I, I know that just like with my relationship with my wife, we both have these boundaries where like, look, we can argue and we can disagree, but there's a certain line that you just can't cross where either of us would be like, whoa, what the hell did you just say to me? Like, no, yeah. you can't. And I think that's that I, I think that also applies to who you'd support as president. And I don't think it's unreasonable for me to say, listen, you pledging my money 
which you will take from me at the threat of violence to support a fucking mass murder campaign that I vehemently oppose. That's a line. Yep. And you're running on that. It's not even like yeah, you're running crazy. on something great and you did a little bit worse than that. No, you're running on that. So, look, I don't think RFK is going to get the LP nominate, nomination. Um, if he did, uh, you know, I guess I'd have to cross that bridge at the time. But I don't. Yeah. I don't. I think just feel like if, if he's going to go on Rogan as the LP nominee, and if I have the opportunity to sit right next to him and say, we vehemently disagree with this position and most libertarians uh, oh, are completely part, against all That would be aid. cool. Yeah. Uh, that, all right. That would be kind of cool, I guess. I mean, that, that's the only that. that's the only reason that I would even consider doing it is that I would hate for him to be up there saying, I'm running as the libertarian presidential nominee and I want to send billions of dollars to, to uh, Israel. I'd be like, whoa. And, and there's no one to actually like set the record straight well, that like, he, we don't if, believe in Fortnite. Well, if he did that on Rogan's podcast, I think I've already preempted. Yeah, Joe, but Rogan's Joe might. <laughs> response to that would be so. We'll see. All right, good, good. Well, uh, I, I appreciate it, man. It's been a, a very, very fun couple of years getting to know to getting to know you and uh, and getting to spread my wings in this arena. I, I never would have expected that I would even potentially be considered for VP, much less that my fucking hero, Dave Smith, is like, dude, if you want to run for president, I got you. Uh, so <laughs> so my, my life is is very, very confusing right now. Uh, we had over 800 live viewers, never had that many. So this is going to go uh, probably pretty viral, too. And and it's just been it's been a blessing all the way around as we stare into the fucking darkness that is our, our current political paradigm. There's there's lots of reasons for hope. And I think the fact that our, our voice is getting out there, our, our collective voice, our, our collective individual voices are getting out there to, to millions of people um, gives me a lot of reason to, to still stay optimistic. And we'll see. This is going to be probably the most important year of our lifetime. So strap yeah. in. Yeah, well, that that's right, and you're the man, dude. And I'm I'm really fucking proud of you, dude. You you oh, fucking you. you know I I remember like uh, when I first found you and was like, oh shit, this guy's really talking some of that shit, and I love it. And <laughs> I was an idiot back thing. then too. <laughs> yeah, but look, it's it's a it's a beautiful thing that we all get to like be in this kind of weird world together. And I don't just mean that for you. I mean like for everyone listening. Like we're kind of yeah. all in this thing together and i get to like my favorite thing is that i go on the road all the time and i get to meet all these people who listen to my show it's like then you like meet them and like i know you know i know i see the numbers and like you're like oh we got this many downloads for this episode but then to like actually meet the people who are listening or like yo i found you during the lockdowns or i found right. you during you know this and the i don't know there's something really cool about it and like yeah you know it's easy for us to say there's a lot of things that are going to shit in the world but again i know i've told you this before but like i don't know my grandfather fought in the second world war i right. talk about feeling like things are going to shit you know yeah. like imagine being in the middle of a world war and so let's let's have some perspective and let's actually say hey we're what we're really living through is revolutionary times and revolutionary times where yes things are very much in jeopardy and that's scary we also have more material wealth and resources than anyone else in human history. And we also have more ability to communicate with, with people than anyone in human history. And I don't know, all things considered, I'd say that's pretty fucking cool. So I, agree, I love fucking, I love talking to you every time we talk. And I really enjoyed this episode particularly because it was on such a fucking interesting uh, night. And uh, yeah, come on. 
Let's let's keep getting after it, guys. Hell yeah, dude. Uh, and and next time you're in Miami, uh, best political show. We'd love to have you on. And uh, hell other yeah. Than that, other than that, just keep crushing it, dude. Uh, I think your voice is is by far the most important. All all due respect to the great Ron Paul, but uh, you know the the amount of people that you're able to reach with a fucking really compelling message. It has. I honestly think it's changing the world, and I you don't have to agree with that. Um, but I'm I'm trying to I'm I'm uh, I'm I'm your backup. That's how I feel. I'm your backup. I'm like, well, yeah. th- well thank you, dude. I think you're do I think you're doing your own thing, but I do very much appreciate that. Well, thank you guys so much for tuning in. Uh, please do hit the like button, subscribe, share it around, and last but not least, give your mom a hug. We're out of here. Peace. Just a quick reminder that Sheath has decided to sponsor Liberty Lockdown, but only one time a month, and we gotta get that elevated. And you know how you can help me get them to be a regular advertiser? Well, by going and getting some of the best effing underwear in the game. Go to sheathunderwear.com. That's S-H-E-A-T-H underwear.com and use promo code LIBERTY to get 20% off. Please do hit the like button. Leave a comment down below. I'm Dave and I covered a lot. If you disagree with any of it, I totally respect your opinion. I will duke it out with you in the comments. But most importantly, subscribe and share the show around. It's rare that we get to have a conversation as honest as this one, and I hope you guys enjoyed it, and we'll catch you guys very soon. Peace. Welcome to Liberty Lockdown. Please scan your barcode. Your liberty ain't gone, but yeah, it's on hold. Where did it come from? And where-